Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. I am Hercules Invictus, and I am honored to announce the Art of Healing. The host is Kak Young, but Kak was unable to join us tonight, so I'll be filling her shoes. And our guest is Dr. Scarlett Heinbuch, who is a multidimensional healer, and she has an amazing tale to tell. So I'm greatly honored that she's here. Greetings and welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, too, Hercules. Um, now, I must say that uh, the more I found out about you, the more curious I became about you. So I read through your website, um, and uh, I read what I could of your book, and uh, so I'll be continuing that exploration past uh, today's uh, um, interview. So uh, uh, thank you for coming on. Well, I'm happy to be here. Now, Everyone has a path, uh, a, a unique path, whether they follow the patterns of society initially and deviate from them or uh, they rebel against them early on and go to seek their own way. But everyone has uh, a story. Everyone has a tale. Everyone has a myth uh, of the process of their becoming who they are. And I would love to hear yours. Okay, well, um, I appreciate the introduction as multidimensional healer, and uh, I think that tends to suit me now. But the path really began for me, um, and this is something I haven't talked much about, but I'm talking more about um, with my own near-death experience when I was four years old from a near drowning. And I didn't realize at the time, because I was so young, how that changed me, um, but it did because – after that that near-death experience, um, I had abilities and things happening to me as a child that I couldn't comprehend. I didn't, but to me they were normal. For, for example, you know, seeing the spirits of those who had passed on, just knowing things before they would happen, or just having a sense of of awareness that was beyond my ability to even comprehend. And so 
because that was my normal, I didn't realize until later that um, other people didn't have those same sorts of experiences. But one of the things that was always defining for me, Hercules, was that everything Mm -hmm. I did um, felt um, that it had to come from a place of love and compassion and healing, even from a very young age. And so, um, so that experience really got me going because I do remember that in that, that drowning time, what I recall is just being in such a place of love and peace and, and just indescribable bliss. And I just knew that there was something so much greater. So I even knew, even if I couldn't quite process it, that death was not the end for us. It was a different type of awakening. So having that experience at that young age and having these things happen um, just just really set me up on, on this journey for healing. Um, the other thing that's really important to point out is that my mother is, and she's retired now, but at the time she was a career nurse. And she mm-hmm. also was very healing-oriented. And during her career, she learned things about uh, hands-on healing and uh, just just showing that kind of compassion and love with her patients, particularly when she was working with them in hospice situations and comforting them as they faced death. So she was a huge influence in my life, um, also as a healer. And so that also helped me to understand that this pathway of healing was also one of grace. And it's a challenging one, no question. So I liked what you said about... Um, Sometimes we resist the pathway, and I'll certainly say that that was also true for me because I realized that I wasn't meant to go into a traditional healing pathway um, in terms of working as necessarily a clinician, and uh, like a nurse or becoming a, an MD. So I took a different journey, um, but it was, it was uh, one that, you know, I, I outline a lot in my book because I want to be very honest about it. But, you know, I, 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 like many people, faced a lot of challenges in life. And I think when people are very sensitive, sometimes you have sometimes even more challenges than, than you would expect. But I did have a lot of challenges. And so um, I had to overcome a lot. And part of that was having um, two boys. My sons both had disabilities and so that also set me up on a pathway of helping them to heal and and so both of them had things that um, one had severe ADHD and the other one had epilepsy and so they were the ones who really are my teachers and so I have to give credit to to my boys as really being the catalyst for me to truly get my feet more firmly back on this pathway because as a parent, you know, when your child is hurting or suffering and and you don't know how to fix it and the traditional models aren't quite working, that's when I had to really look at what, what's going to help my kids. And so I started researching about diet and nutrition and also looking at all of the spiritual aspects of why they were having these challenges in their lives, what, what were they needing to learn from this, how could I help them. And so... Uh, part of what I learned was energy work, and I really learned how to develop that in addition to doing the scientific research about diet, like I said, essential fatty acids, nutrition, all of that. And I did end up getting a master's degree in public health to uh, focus on children with with mental health and, and these types of brain-based 
problems. And um, so that was a very important part of my formation as a healer today, and and I'm grateful for that and grateful to them for um, opening that doorway to me because so much of health and healing in the world today and that people experience is really based on all the things that are very basic to our human functioning, such as the foods that we eat and the um, chemicals around us, all sorts of things that we're very... So, you know, so these are all part of those um, learnings that help to inform me as a healer to be able to help other people. And I include that in multidimensional work today because I look at that as, you know, this is all part and parcel of wellness, you know, how, what, the the physical and chemical things. So I want to pause for a moment and see if you have some questions so far. Um, Sure, that's an amazing journey, and it seems that, uh, you have a great awareness of how you were guided and how everything that uh, happened to you uh, since your earliest childhood contributed uh, towards your finding and uh, claiming your destiny. So that's, that's uh, very amazing. Um, I have found that uh, many people meander through life and <laughs> life becomes a series of circumstances that happen to them, uh, whereas you seem to sense the divine hand that uh, touched you and moved you along uh, and helped you uh, learn through everything that you experienced. That's very rare. Well, thank you. And, you know, it's interesting that you that you frame it up that way because I'd have to say that many times I felt that I was meandering or just being buffeted around by forces beyond my control, and the only thing I could do about it was try to learn the lessons within and try to find out how I was going to, to help the situation. And that had been just so powerful in my life. No matter what happened, no matter what what um, was handed to me, the question I always had was, how can I make this better? What can I learn from this? And ultimately, how can I help other people with what I've learned? And so that was the way I approached it. And so um, and to me, that's, that really is the healer's path, that desire to help others, to take the things that um, we've learned and the, the challenges we've been given and, and use them in a way that, that lights up somebody else, that, that helps people to know they're not alone with their challenges and and their pain and their fears in this life and and that um, sometimes the solutions that people want to have uh, for example um, I work with a lot of people who want a cure for something or want something to be fixed and sometimes that doesn't happen because everybody has a spiritual pathway and we seem to think that well it's it's just so simple to say well a cure is it but People have lessons that they need to learn from experiences that they have. And many times people don't get what they think they want, but they get something different, which might be illumination or awareness or peace or understanding about their lives and their situations because all of that is healing too. It's not always about a cure or a fix. And I I always try to help people to understand that. And, you know, another thing that I've learned a lot is that um, I'm not a fixer. And even with my children, as a parent, you want to to fix what's wrong. But I learned that I'm a healing partner with people. Everybody is their own healer. And I'll say that again. Everybody is their (laughs) own healer. Um, And that's what I try to help people understand, that the only thing I'm doing is functioning as a healing partner 
and a healing facilitator, but they themselves are the healer because this is their journey and it's so personal and so deeply spiritual and so encoded with whatever people came into this life to learn. So I try to be very respectful of people's place where they are in in the healing journey, but I never, ever want to let them think that I'm the one doing the healing because that's not the case. They are it. They're the ones doing it. And so the most exciting thing for me is, is being able to help people by using different techniques to get in access to that inner healer and open up like a key in a lock their own inner healing ability. So to me that's that's the most important thing that I do and whatever results people get are highly individual and uh really based on what their soul needs. So those are and some of the things that I wanted to share about that. That's very profound and very ancient, too. The ancient uh, Greeks uh, believed that uh, therapeutic treatment uh, was a divine act, uh, therapia. The word from which we get therapy uh, means to tend an altar. And uh, the journey of healing uh, was something that took place between uh, the healer and the person seeking healing. And both got something out of the journey and you needed both to get there. So uh, you're, you're expressing some uh, beliefs that are uh, very ancient and very powerful. Well, thank you. I, I, you know, that's what we try to tap into. There are universal truths that are timeless. And, and that is, is there is a divine essence for all of us. At least that's what I believe. And so that's part of what healing is, is, is just reconnecting people to that divine inner knowing and that divine essence that they have. That's the core connection to their spirit. And as a healer, when I work with people, um, I try to explain that I see, see their energy patterns, and it's hard to describe in words, but this has just been an ability. So I use the term see, although it's not like a visual where someone's mm-hmm. just standing in front of me. But I, I think most of your listeners probably understand what I'm saying. But, yeah. for example, I worked with somebody um, recently, and I, I was explaining to them that we work on, like, five different levels of of healing, and that's working with the body, the physical body, which has its own energy imprint. And, you know, I, I tell people everybody has just, like, their individual fingerprints their soul print is also unique to them, and, and that's what I tune into for them. But I say, you know, your mind body, and that has a an energetic field too, and that's all the thoughts and uh, experiences that people have had and how they've thought about these things. And then there's the emotional body, which is how people feel about the events in their lives and the things that have happened to them. And and then, of course, there's the spiritual body, which is the the you know, divine essence, and you put all of that together in in a kind of harmonic path, and that's part of the work that I do in a multidimensional level is to help people to connect and heal and unify those different imprints. And so I try to tell people that each one might have like a fingerprint on a hand, as each finger does, but when you unite it, it functions like a complete hand. It's a unified um way of being and so that's part of 
the healing work that I do is to try to help people heal through trauma, um, stored memories, um, help them to reframe about how they might think about things that might be causing them to to be stuck and how to help them free themselves up. And all of these things impact the physical body. Um, so, you know, we talk about mind, body, spirit, healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I try to do is really help people to understand each of them as a separate print and how to unify it. So that's a little bit different from some of the ways that I've I've learned, but it's something that I've put together and, and listening very intently with my ears but with my heart and my spirit about as an intuitive person about what is going to be useful for that person to really release. And that usually tends to come up, things that people just didn't even realize might have been hidden away or tucked away in the pockets of their their spirits that just needed some love and light. So those are also some things that I do in healing um, that I really enjoy seeing the power of it when, when it comes together that way. So I understand now why multidimensional, you deal with all the different levels of a person's totality uh, and uh, um, increase their awareness that uh, they have bodies and uh, lives on these uh, different uh, levels. Um, is that a difficult concept for people to grasp and, and to work with? Um, I think it is until they experience it, and then it makes perfect sense. I think when people realize that, oh, the way I think about things is impacting me in a way I might not have noticed, or the way I feel about something. You know, you've heard, most people have heard the phrase, the issues are in the tissues, meaning that our bodies and our cells store uh-huh. memories. And so what I try to also do is I use also multiple techniques, which include um, light self-hypnosis with people. Again, they're their own healer, so I guide them through relaxation so that their body can relax and their mind can relax a bit um, so that they can open that, that spiritual access point to, to feel, um, to have that illumination within that they need. Um, and so lots of times I ask people about a time when they felt their very, very best because that energy and that memory of feeling your best is also stored in the cells. So what we want to do is create that access time where you can, if you're not feeling well or if you're in pain, then we can say there was a time you felt your best. So let's reclaim that, reclaim that cellular memory on a physical level of feeling your very best. So that's that helps to open that. And then I use also a variety of techniques to help people to do that, and that includes the cleansing breathing, um, choosing colors or imagery that is uh, joyful, that produces emotions of love and happiness and joy. These emotions need to be opened so people can actually access things and people sometimes don't realize how important that is to open up the doorway to the emotion of love and caring and self-compassion to help the body heal. Uh, Another thing that is really important is a lot of times people look at illness, uh, physical illness as a punishment or something that they hate or dislike Mm -hmm. or resent what I try to do is help them to embrace and love it 
because it's a teacher. It's showing you something. It's, it's Something is showing up, and it's asking for love and care. So one of the things I do is, is we thank whatever is showing up in that time. We thank it, and we also invite it to, to go ahead and, and move on with love. A lot, I've had people ask me, well, what happens to all that energy if, if people have negative energy or things like that? And I say, you know, where does it go? And I say, it, it gets transmuted into love. That's what we do. That's, that's the key to all the healing that I, work that I do is everything gets transmuted into love. Um, so that is if powerful. People, well, thank you. And it, it's, and, uh, it's stunning when it happens. Ahead. Go ahead. Yes, I can I can definitely uh, um, identify with uh, what you're saying. Um, and uh, I, for instance, have been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but right. I learned a lot from it. So I, I've learned to see my diabetes as an instructor, too. And mm-hmm. uh, I can honestly say that my diabetes has kept me on track with keeping on top of, uh, you know, my health. And it's made me confront a lot of things that uh, otherwise I might not have uh, been aware of. So mm-hmm. um, I can see that the disease uh, um, and disease, I mean, dis-ease, you know, you're not at ease, you're not at equilibrium, but how that uh, imbalance uh, can act as an instructor. And also what you brought up with uh, acting from love and coming from love and returning to love. One of the things that's always amazed me is uh, that we do have choices as to how we react to things. Mm-hmm. And that's a phenomenal freedom because we can paint our experience uh, in any way we uh, choose. Uh, and we're conditioned to paint things in a very disempowering uh, uh, way. And just becoming aware of that choice and practicing, um, you know, changing the negative thoughts into positive ones. Uh, and then waking up one day and the negative thoughts are gone. And not that they don't come back periodically, but that constant chatter that was there before is no longer there. That's a liberating experience. So if you're doing that type of work, that is an awesome work that you're doing. Well, thank you. I like how you're putting that together. And, and you're absolutely right. Sometimes when an illness comes, you become one of the healthier people around because now you're aware. You're more aware about the interaction between food and, and chemicals and, and how your body responds. And your body is wise. Your body's trying to tell you that these are things that maybe I don't like for you to have. And so that's how it kind of works. That's not a bad thing. It's really very protective no. in a way. And sometimes people aren't aware of that. So I try to help them to understand what is this trying to teach you? Because you'll probably outlive us all because you're aware now <laughs> of what's, what's good and you've educated yourself because, you know, there's just physical realities Um, We are in a physical, dense environment when we're in a physical body. So when you are able to intertwine the the knowledge and and the physical reality with scientific facts and and physical information, all of those things, and you put that together with the spiritual aspect, and and as you said, it's how you think about it um, and how you feel about about these things. These are all paths to wellness. you know, people are health, health and wellness are are often separate things to many people's minds. But you can be very healthy and well even with a disability or an illness. 
it's just a matter of what what your soul is learning from this experience. So I look at things a little bit differently. And and the other thing is too, I mean, we're not going to escape any of us our mortality. So right. we know that there's going to be an endpoint for us all at at whatever time is it, it's going to happen. And so that's part of also what I do. There are times when people um, want to, a cure, but sometimes what they need is to find that path to acceptance and peace because sometimes that's their soul's journey is to go. And some people often don't want to hear that or family members often put more pressure on people who actually are really okay with things. Um, for example, I've had family members approach me to work with a, someone who's been uh, given a terminal illness. And I always say, well, is this what they want? <laughs> and they're, well, well, of course they do. And I'm, I'm like, well, sometimes you might be surprised that someone actually is taking a different path. It may may be uncomfortable. It may be very painful for you, um, but they may be all right with it. And, mm-hmm. some, and sometimes they're not, but sometimes people do choose to, to leave this life and, and you use the word choice, and I have seen that again and again, Hercules. People make choices, and it's hard sometimes for loved ones to accept the choices that others make, um, particularly when it involves, you know, life-ending situations. But that's that's also part of healing. Um, yes, how you go, and how you um, how you leave, and how others around you respond to your choice to go. Um, even when it doesn't look like a choice, when their tragedies strike or accidents occur, uh, people who have had near-death experiences talk about that. Those who have come back often claim that they did have a choice point. And so, again, I always feel that people have more choice and, and more awareness of of what's truly in their best soul's interest and in, for their growth than than oftentimes we can even explain. That's that's very true. I had uh, a couple of uh, uh, near-death experiences in my life, and uh, one of them, too, was at a very young age. I was like three or four years old, and it was at Orchard Beach, and it involved almost drowning. So that right. would be a conversation for another day. Um, okay. But uh, I had one uh, later in life, and uh, there is choice involved. And uh, I chose uh, to, re- to come back here because there were things I wanted to do. But there's like a review process and, you know, there, there, there's choice. So what that did was it liberated me a great deal because I know that I'll go, everybody goes, uh, and I know that I'm not in control of when I go because that can come at any uh, second. However, I do know that I myself chose to be here, so I can't play the victim. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that too is very is very liberating. It, what you're doing sounds almost a shamanic in a way, um, you know, a, a more modern uh, um, uh, version of that, where uh, it's uh, holistic and it doesn't only deal with uh, the individual as a self-contained entity, but in their connection with uh, reality, with the world, with nature, you know, however you want to describe it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear some of your case histories, uh, people that were helped through this uh, process. 
Okay. Well, and and just to touch on that, I have been I've been called a lot of things, and shaman is also one of them. I, you know, this is this is such a sacred time, and I I want to point that out too. Any encounter I'm privileged to have with somebody in a healing way is is a sacred encounter, and to me, that is there's nothing more sacred or more beautiful than to have that connection with another being on a healing journey and whatever happens within that that context um, when you're working that love and that light and that spiritual connection to me that is the transformative and very shamanic uh, way of being with somebody Um, and it it is a a gift of grace and so I always look at Mm -hmm. it that way and so when you're asked about cases, obviously the one that I wrote about in my book, Waking Up to Love, that involved the shared near-death experience with a, a person who was a stranger to me at the time and later became my husband. So it's a definitely an unusual love story of how we met. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'll start with that um, and encourage people if they want all of the details. It, it is in the book, including the exact words that I used when I was working with, with David. That's his name. Um, but this happened in 2005 and I was um I met David's mother and I had did not know David and the book explains all the details around that too and and so um David had been in an unresponsive coma for three and a half weeks in a local hospital here in Richmond and he was on life supporter uh, life support and with a ventilator he had um gone into the hospital unable to breathe and his lungs were shutting down but he didn't know it he just didn't know what was happening and his lungs shut down and then his kidneys shut down and then then he was in um his heart went out of rhythm and then he had double pneumonia and he had sepsis and um he had blood clots and then he had reactions to the medications that they were giving him to try to thin the blood clots and uh so he he was just in in just dire dire straits so to speak and so his mother um was in California and they the night I met her she had flown in for the third time that day had gotten the call from um the hospital to come and say goodbye because they didn't expect David to live through the night um because everything had shut down at that point even though he um was on the ventilator one of his lungs had collapsed they had put in a chest tube and he still wasn't getting enough oxygen so now uh the brain was uh compromised so they wow. and he turned out that he had a very rare form of vasculitis at that time it was called Wegner's granulomatosis and they've since changed the name but basically what it meant was that um, all the vessels that supplied blood to the organs were compromised and had little little granulomas, they call them, like little pebbles, I think is the best way to describe it. And and so everything, you know, was shut down. It wasn't getting enough blood, and what did get through had damaged the kidneys and the, and the lungs and everything. So um, they told his mother that if David even could live, um, he would be permanently disabled with his kidneys destroyed and on permanent dialysis, possibly a transplant list, but he probably would not qualify, and that he would have mm-hmm. brain damage because of the oxygen um, deprivation they had because his brain at that point and that day was shutting down too. And so he'd never regained consciousness, and 
anyway, it was one of those things when you get that spiritual call, and that's what I felt with her because she just touched my heart, and I thought how awful it must be to have your child and a child of any age. At that time, David was 42, but it, it's hard to lose your child and being in, from out, you know, he's being here and she's there, and and uh, it just moved me. And so I offered to go um, do some energy work with him if she would like, and and she reminded me that he was Jewish, and I explained, you know, that the energy work is not religious, so it's it's not mm-hmm. interfering with anybody's faith or beliefs. Um, it's just pure energy and love. And so the assumption was that if he even survived the night, because I had met her on uh, that Thursday night, which was September 22, 2005. So David did survive the night, and I ended up going to the hospital the very next day. And I will say this, too, because... Even though he was in a coma and unresponsive, and he he had the feeding tube and the the tube in his you know his throat for the ventilator, all these things, and he he just was not present. Um, I still asked his permission to work with him because I knew spiritually that he could yes. hear me, and I knew that he had a choice. And obviously, he was hovering at that point between going or well no one expected him to really survive at that point because he was just in the shutdown phase and so but I still asked his permission and my mother again the career nurse had always told me when people are in a coma they can still hear what you say so speak to him like he's awake so that's what Mm -hmm. I did I introduced myself because we had never met and I told him why why I was there and I told him I was there because a lot of people loved him and I was there out of respect for his mother and that if he wanted me to work with him, um, you know, it would be my honor to do so. And if he was ready to go, then to go with love and go in peace and, and know that there was nothing, nothing he could have done that he was not loved. And so I stay, stood there for a moment waiting and I felt that little push of air, and I'm not quite sure where it came to came from, but I recognize that as, as permission. So I worked with David for about 20 minutes. I could feel he wasn't really in his body, and I felt that he, he might not stay. So I, I finished up, and um, after I'd done the, the treatment, and I had opened with a prayer for only the highest and best energies, and... When I was getting ready to leave, I held his hand, careful not to dislodge the pulse oximeter or he had IV lines in the hand too, and and I just told him, I said, I don't know why, but I I feel like if you decide you want to stick around, I'm going to commit to you that I'll come back, but it's your choice. And I repeated what I'd said about him having that choice. And as I was getting ready to take my hand away, Hercules, it was all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I could feel like my hand was stuck to his, like it was magnetized. And he had no grip, but I realized that his spirit was reaching back. And that's when I realized that there was something going on, that he was still around. So I I told him I'd be back, and we had, I ended up working with David over a 12-day period, um, sometimes twice a day, and using all manner of tools including aromatherapy, tuning forks, music, uh, all types of energy. We had so many unusual experiences during that very uh, powerful 12-day period 
to the the book is really describing all of that. It was an up and down time, and uh, David made what they call a miraculous recovery. There's no medical explanation for how he even survived because most of the doctors say that any one of the things that he had could have killed him, but the combination generally is not survivable. So not only did he survive, but his kidneys were restored and were completely functioning. And each day when the doctors came in, his nephrologist would come in and they'd say, oh, my gosh, you're regaining, regaining, regaining up to full um, functioning. Now, that generally, that doesn't happen when kidneys are destroyed. Now, many times people can go into an ICU and their kidneys have shut down. That's very different than when you're having this kind of vasculitis and the granulomas and the destruction that comes from that. So, um, but they kept saying, you know, we don't know what's going on here, but whatever. And so the doctors and nurses in the hospital started to call Miracle Boy. Um, and he made a stunning recovery for which there is no medical explanation. And wow. fast forward, it's been 14 years, and, um, you know, and David's kidneys were uh, and are fine. His lungs are fine. He's uh, really been doing incredibly well. And then during that encounter, however, and this is the part that was so shocking to me, is, you know, as a child, as you know, having a near-death experience, you know how to be out of your body, and that had been yeah. something that... And I've been used to too, and I've been used to seeing beings that from another, you know, um, dimension, so to speak. And so, mm-hmm. but I had not had the experience where someone is dying and being with them, and they are out of their body, and then I'm out of my body too with them. And that's what happened with David um, during that time. Again, while he was still unconscious, I. I was working with him, and this was the first week in, and I was holding his hand, and I'd started my opening prayer, and then I was out of my body. I was no longer at his bedside. I I was in someplace else, and I was in a world of love. It took me years to be able to even describe, and it's even words still fail me, the magnitude of the love that I was in, and I can only call it the the most incredible. I call it the every kind of love. There's just no no other way to describe it. It's so powerful, wow. and so it was like zillions of dots of light. And and I call it liquid love, even though it wasn't wet. I don't know how to describe in human terms the textures and the experience and the perceptions that I was having, but in that place of light and love where I was just floating. That's where David and I met because that's where he was too. And I knew and he knew um, he was at that choice point of whether he was going to go or not. And that's where we met. And it was total love. And I, it was as though my soul had always known him. And, and I just felt that incredible love. And, again, it's not like romantic love or the typical, typical types of love that we experience. It's just a soul love. There's no other words that I can think of to describe it. Yes, and, and I, I'm sorry if I relate everything mythically, but I, I kind of live in <laughs> this uh, <laughs> mythical place. Um, but what you're describing was called agape by the ancients, and it's a pure form of uh, love. And uh, Aphrodite, or Aphrodite, uh, as she's called in English, uh, she's usually associated with uh, carnal uh, love, uh, 
However, to the ancients, uh, she was that was part of a spectrum. And then the highest uh, part of the spectrum was Aphrodite Urania, or the, the heavenly or the sky Aphrodite. And that was the pure love that uh, you're, you're describing. And uh, what you described uh, with uh, your husband, uh, that is mythic as well, in that you literally went to the underworld and um, helped him come out of uh, the underworld and back into uh, this world. So... Uh, that is uh, phenomenally impressive, and uh, uh, it transcends uh, the, the tales we live out as humans. That, that is awesome. Well, thank you, and I, I like how you're, uh, you know, framing that up too, because I, I do feel that it, it was and still remains to this day transcendent. And David chose to return, and that's when he woke up. And the human, we had all of the awkwardness of strangers meeting. Because mm-hmm. our spirit knew, but we had to still introduce ourselves because he didn't. We never met in this realm, and so um, David. Everyone asks, "Well, what does David remember?" And David remembers. Uh, he has the soul memory. He remembers being floating in love, being in that place of love. And he said, when he opened his eyes, he knew everything about me, and he knew he was going to marry me, and he knew he just knew. And, um, and I mean, all the details about my life that, and people ask, well, did you talk to him about it while he was unconscious, things like that? And I'm like, no, when I was working with him, I was completely focused on his healing treatment time. And that was it. I went in, I did my healing work and pretty much left. Um, he had visitors here and there. Um, but it, it was a, it was a transcendent knowing. And so that's what happened. We ended up getting married about um, seven months later. So we just knew. Wow. We just knew we were going to be together and that we had had a miracle together and that we had had, I didn't even know at the time that happened, I don't even know if the term shared near death had been around, so I didn't even know how to describe what had happened. Uh, the best I could come up with was he was dying, he was out of his body, getting ready to cross over. I went out of my body and met him there and then he came back. <laughs> and so, but that wow. that is a shared near death. And so that's really what happened. But there were some other things that happened too. And this is why it took me 13 years to put the book together um, because I didn't know often how to even describe these things. And we also, when David's kidneys were healed, we had another transcendent experience. And that was with, um, I had the perception that there were these beings. I call them like a, a medical team from another dimension. But what was interesting about them was that they, I perceived them to be colored blue. They were like a blue yeah. color. Head mm-hmm. to toe, uh, the skin, eyes, everything was blue. And they replaced David's kidneys. And when I talk about it, I, I had to get past my editing mind, like, wow, that sounds just wild. And uh-huh. yet, that's what I perceived, and like they replaced, they dropped in energetic new kidneys, and, um, you know, like I said, there's no medical explanation for why his kidneys are functioning today, because based on the medical knowledge and what had happened, they shouldn't be, but they are. 
And um, so when that happened, and I went in the next day and I took tuning forks to, to tune up the frequencies and to help with the assimilation that I had perceived that had happened with him, and that's when everything really turned around too. So we had so many healing helpers, I call them from other dimensions. I, I don't know what these beings were or are, and I am actively researching that now, but this is important because um, years later, David and I never even talked about our experiences that much publicly because it was so sacred and also was so powerful and, and just so wild, all these things that had happened. Um, we we just didn't even know if we should even talk about. But we ended up getting invited to speak at the International Association of Near-Death Studies about our experience, and it was ten year the 10-year anniversary after it had happened. And so we decided to just lay it out, and we, we shared everything that had happened, including the encounter with the blue beings and the kidneys. And afterward, people came up and said, oh, yeah, they were aware of these beings, that, that they were around all over the world and doing mm-hmm. and recounting these experiences and we met a man from Hungary who had written about it in his book and um, his translator told us yes he too had had that encounter in his uh, death experience when he was clinically dead for nine minutes and he encountered those blue beings of love he called them so and then subsequently um, there's a woman who um, I think her name is Artie Six Killer I'm blanking on her last name, but she's a Native American who has uh, interviewed many Native Americans who have also had encounters with the blue beings along with other types of beings. But they describe these beings as being healers, and that's what they do. They help people heal. So, um, you know, again, at that time, I had not heard about that sort of thing. I mean, I've heard all kinds of things about aliens or or different beings. I had never... Um, experienced anything directly like this, and it was certainly not even fathomable for me at that time that that would be happening in this experience. But we had so many different types of things that happened during that 12-day period. Um, But I wanted to share that because, again, when we talk about healing pathways, everyone I've had, all these encounters, I have more questions than I have answers today um, because each each experience is open doorways that I just didn't even know could exist. And so I always like to find out more, and I'm a researcher at heart. And so just just seeing that these are, things are happening, the more I feel, what I find is the more I'm honest about what happens, the more that opens the path and door for others to share uh, their experiences too. And so many people have had experiences, and they're just so afraid to talk about them for fear of others' judgments. So um, that was the main reason I wrote the book, was to help people to understand that there's a power of love and healing that is accessible to us all, and it really does exist, and it's just it's just so amazing. And I, I just believe that it's available, like I said, to everybody, if we can just help each other, um, remind each other that, about that love and that pathway. So that's a lot of what I do in my healing work. Um, so anyway, that's after that, I, uh, did you want to say something? No, that's a lot uh, that you do. Uh, your healing is multidimensional uh, as well uh, um, as uh, you're being a multidimensional uh, healer. 
Um, I looked at the clock, and our journey uh, is uh, um, 10 minutes uh, um, till it ends today, and we haven't even scratched the surface of um, what you're talking about. So I know I definitely want you back on as a guest, and I'm sure CAC is going to want to interview you uh, uh, as well. Uh, uh, You've shared a wealth of information. Um, Can people learn about uh, your um, unusual love story by reading Waking Up to Love? Yes, that's really where that's I that's where the love story is, and and also the healing techniques that I used. I wanted um, someone to be able to read the book and not only find out what's possible, but to also have some tangible and useful uh, techniques to use. And that's why I included the words that I chose i spoke to david's organs i actually talked to his lungs i talked to his kidneys i talked to his heart um i did energy work around his throat to help him to relearn to swallow um because having a feeding tube in and a ventilator in for at that point had been uh five weeks um you know you have to relearn some of these things so i i put in everything that i did and the words that i chose because words are powerful and that also, and when we talk about multidimensional, it's multimodal. Um, I also ended up getting certified in um, hypnosis because I feel that that's also part of what we're doing is is using the power of his mind to create his healing experience and to help supplement what's happening um, in that whole time. So using the, the right words that reinforce that positive, loving energy within himself and helping his mind's eye, too, to embrace his own healing. All these things can expedite um, that healing journey. And I've used that same technique with other people and had similar results um, with people who have been on the brink of death. You know, one one young lady from a stroke at 21 years old um, with an unremitting brain bleed and multiple shunts, and we had, again, similar results. And what was interesting about that case was in the neurology unit where she was, one of the uh, nursing staff understood about energy work, and she said that several of the – she and some student nurses were gathered around the monitor in the nursing station while I was working with this person energetically, and they were watching the brainwave activity, and she said that they saw brainwave activity that's on her um, EEG that they had never seen before. So, you know, and this young lady made it also what they call a miraculous recovery because she wasn't expected to live or also, um, if she did, would have severe brain damage from the stroke and, and all the residual um, after effects. But she did not. She made a stunning recovery. She's now a mother of a three-year-old and living a wonderful life. And this is just another another case and and there are more and i'm working on putting that together in my my next book but i think that's really the whole point hercules is to to Uh help people wake up about love and about healing and hope and connection uh, because there are things we are just scratching the surface of what's possible in the healing realm and i believe that the way that i'm putting it together is is really exponentially increasing the ability of people to unlock their inner healer. So that's, that's really what I'm, I'm, my, my path as a healer to wrap up is to say that that's what I've done is, is each, each experience has offered more questions 
and and inspired me to learn more, to understand more, to try something a little different, um, to add in another technique so that when I'm working with someone and using energy work, I'm also using the power of their mind by guided hypnosis, by um, some neurolinguistic programming, which I'm also certified in, which is reframing how yes, people NLP. might think about um, And using some of that spiritual shamanic ability I have and the ability to connect to other dimensions and realms and to, to connect to that beautiful spiritual love that that embraces us all that's that's the gift that i can pull in and help somebody with and and so that's it's hard to describe what i do but i think when i i hope at least when i'm describing it um you know that that it can make sense to people these are really tried and true techniques and it's just the combination um tailored for each person and what they, they truly need, that's the intuitive art of the healing encounter with somebody. Um, but I believe with all that I have learned that this is all teachable. And so that's one of the things I'm working on also is putting together a curriculum to teach these different modalities and the way to combine them for maximum effect and healing. So that's, that's that, what that is awesome. is at this point. And you have two websites uh, that act as a portal to your life uh, work and also um, uh, facilitate people contacting you. Can you share a little bit about your websites? Yes. Actually, one is um, still kind of up there, but the, the correct one, the best one to reach me at is the healingwithdrscarlet.com. Um, that's okay. my more current one. And that has all of my information about what I do. Um, I really don't take that many appointments and people do reach out. And so one of the things I do is I set up um, my healing intention to um, respond to the people whom I feel I'm guided to help. But anyone who reaches out to me, whether I can help them directly or not, they are immediately prayed for and immediately I, I ask that love to go to them and to help them. So whether I'm working with somebody directly or not, it. I, I just know that spiritually we are we somehow connected, and if they have chosen to connect with me, I am going to connect back in, with that loving energy, whether I'm meant to help with them or not. I always tell people, you know, um, there are so many wonderful, gifted healers around, just so many people who have tremendous gifts. So I always say wherever you are, find those healers no we all do things a little differently um and my technique is um different perhaps from someone else's but that doesn't mean that there aren't amazing healers right perhaps in their backyard so um you know and that's the other thing too hercules that's why i want to teach what i do um because there's such need and i can't possibly do it all nobody can so but the more people who learn the more healers um, who or the, everyone has healing ability, but the more who people who choose to learn how to develop it within themselves and offer up that gift to others, um, the more people who can be helped, and that's also the way that we transform our world into a more loving place. So to me, that's that's the whole pathway of the healer's journey is to walk that path with loving intention and with the idea of, of transforming 
uh, the people that we encounter and who encounter us and helping our world to heal through that loving doorway. And the more people we connect with, the more love we can have in this world. And to me, that is the true gift. And thank you so much for generously sharing your gift on the show, through your book, through your work, through your websites. And I'm greatly looking forward to uh, um, seeing your uh, curriculum now with uh, the uh, information age, uh, our information, uh, what we choose to share, what we choose to teach is global. Yes. So uh, I'm hoping that you reach a lot of people and uh, uh, help anchor love and help people express it uh, to heal themselves, to heal their immediate circle of family and friends, and beyond that to the world we all share. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It. This has been an awesome hour, and uh, I will be asking you uh, back, and I know CAC uh, wants you back. Thank you so very much, Scarlett. Well, thank you. It's been it's just been wonderful. I've so enjoyed it, and I look forward to talking with you again. Me too. Um, we're going to listen to Dave the Bard's "A Cauldron Born," and the cauldron is a symbol of transformation globally. And then we'll be back with uh, Bill Waitman and the path of public service. Within this darkened hall, hear the 
of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born.
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. I am Hercules Invictus, and I'm honored to announce our next segment, which is the Path of Public Service. And today is Bill Waitman's pre-election special. Greetings and welcome, Bill. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> A little sore from some other issues, but I'm okay. I'm glad you're okay. Uh, three of your guests had called, but we seem to have lost one. So let me uh, bring everybody in. They can introduce themselves. Greetings and welcome to the Elysium Project's pre-election special. Hi. How are you? Hello. It's uh, Joey. Uh, doing great. I will now hand over the scepter to Bill Waitman, and he can begin the show. Hey, who's this, Joey? Yes, no. hey, uh, good evening, Bill. How are you? Okay, I'm okay, and I guess Tom Palmieri, uh, he was just here. Joey, yes, uh, I am still, I'm still here, Bill. Tom Palmieri's here. Yeah, you're on the, we're both on. Well, yeah, I've got two interesting people here tonight. Joey, uh, I, I was telling Tom that uh, about your background, you, you were a, uh, council, a councilman in I forget what town. Uh, in uh, Flemington uh, in Hunterdon County. I know the county real well. I uh, used to work in Trenton, and uh, my boss was a, uh, a pretty great artist uh, that exhibited all over the uh, two states, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Chessar. Uh, he lived in Ringo's. And uh, you've also been, as I said, a lawyer, and uh, you've kind of uh, done the comic business. Uh, Tom, why don't you – you've been a, a county chair of, uh, of Warren County. Tell me about yeah, yourself. The, I've, I've been the county chair for six years, and actually Joey Novick was the county chair in Hunterdon County. Um, we talked – Joey and I go back farther than both of us would like to admit to. But um, – uh, Yes, I've been the county chair for six years, and we've been making some good progress for the past couple of years. I did the Democratic Party. uh, (laughs) I was the county chair in Hunterdon um, 20 years ago when uh, Tom was, I think, seven or eight years old. I think Tom was it. Nine and a half. Nine and a half. (laughs) Nine and a half. There you go. Well, I've I've worked for a number of governors uh, in both parties. the last couple of years, they've been pretty bad on the uh, Republican side, from my opinion. I uh, I worked on a cellar, and I didn't get any uh, help on a cellar in New Jersey. I had a battle with Governor Whitman, who goes back away, and uh, a cellar still has problems. Uh, it was built for Amtrak by Bombardier and GE, but I set up all the original training, and uh, I found colleges to train uh, older workers and newer workers on it, and... Uh, uh, the governor at the time, Whitman, pulled the rug from out, uh, out from under me, and uh, th- that caused a lot of great issues. But uh, it's great to have both of you on here. Um, uh, Tom, your, your county is making great strides. Uh, uh, one thing that I think Joey and you have in common is you probably share a, uh, a, sem- a, a, a congressman or a congresswoman or two, uh, I think, Tom Malinowski is in. Is he in Hunterton County? Yeah, yep. uh, Tom covers. Uh, Tom uh, Malinowski covers all of Hunterton County, except a small piece uh, south at Bonnie Watson Coleman House. And uh, Tom, mm-hmm. you have Malinowski on the edge of your county too, right? Yeah, he actually he covers the the seven towns that are the most Democratic towns in our county. 
the Phillipsburg Alpha Pahacon, the Pahacon area. Um, we uh, this this has been a long election. Uh, the things going in Washington are are really uh, the worst that I've ever seen in my life. I've met two presidents, uh, Harry Truman, uh, an ex-president when I met him, and I met John F. Kennedy when he was to be a, a president uh, in Teaneck. But I've, I've never remembered any of times like this. Uh, how is it uh, going in, in our state legislature? Do you get any feedback? Well, from my perspective, uh, Bill, um, Donald Trump, is, his impact upon the state of New Jersey is big on the federal level, like the, the tunnel project and the bridge project for going into New York City. Um, you know, his, uh, Joe, you might have a better word for it, but his, uh, his aggressiveness in not to help uh, the Northeast and uh, Democratic states is so apparent to myself and many, many other people, especially people in the state legislature. Yeah, I, you know, the one thing from a political standpoint <clears throat> that I think President Trump has done has coalesced you, the, has coalesced the progressives in the state uh, within about maybe a month or two of his getting elected. We, we saw uh, just hundreds and hundreds of people organizing uh, indivisible groups, progressive groups, the, um, you know, uh, just uh, really amazing uh, forces been put together and has really gotten a lot of Democrats elected in the past uh, two cycles. Well, from from my perspective, I became chair six years ago, and if somebody had told me six years ago, I might make a bet with Tom Palmieri, bet a thousand dollars that you'll have two Democratic congressmen covering all of Warren County, I would have taken the bet and said, you know, I would have lost the bet. It was, it's the the change in the culture and the attitude of people has been tremendous, and uh, the whole idea that you know New Jersey now has eleven out of twelve Congress seats occupied by Democrats says so much to what one of the state does lean and has been going towards the Democratic Party, but the other thing is uh, I believe Donald Trump has speeded up the process for us. Yeah, he definitely acted as a catalyst uh, with regard to that. Um, and i got to tell you, if I knew that uh, Donald Trump getting elected would have been this good for organizing Democrats out in Hunter County, I would have uh, volunteered for his campaign long ago. <laughs> well said, Jerry. Very well said. Well, I mean, I, my, my my joke is he's the best recruiting tool I've ever had. Yeah, he is. He's an outstanding recruiting tool. He, he really he, he's he's helped get so many Democrats who you know would yell at the TV set or you know say yeah I disagree with him, but wouldn't get involved. They are now involved because they know this is not a um, spectator sport. It's an an activist sport, and you have to be involved yeah. if you want to make change and protect. The, the rights that we have, which he's attacking. Uh, but you know what? Some of his shills, uh, take a, an instrument like Facebook. I, I mean, I go on and I get attacked by some of the, I don't want to say something stupid, <laughs> very stupid and ignorant people because they tend to vote against their own class interest. And I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess that's always the case. But uh, I've never seen it so much as in this case. You know the the uh, Ford plants, uh, uh, 
they were, he was boasting that he could bring them. He can't even swat a fly, a fly in Detroit or, or uh, Ohio. Uh, he's, he's just been totally ineffective. And the nonsense that uh, we see going on uh, with uh, a senator, a congressman from Miami leading uh, a runabout in the, uh, into the Congress, uh, it, it just doesn't seem – I've never seen this kind of behavior before. You know, you, any comments? I mean, uh, he literally cursed all over poor uh, the, the congressman that just died. Uh, right. And, and I didn't even realize yes. Congress had one Republican friend. I, I look at – when I watch the TV, I, I see these guys smiling. Uh, I can't think of the one guy who has his shirt rolled up all the time. He never has a jacket on. But he's one of the most annoying guys I've ever seen. And to think well, going back a generation or two, Johnson could work with Republicans. Right. Well, Bill, I wonder you made a comment about people voting against their own interests. Um, Joey and I have talked about this in directly or indirectly over the years. Yes, they, but the the Republicans have uh, their issues is fear and greed, and yeah. they're they're selling it. They're, they're one of the products is fear, fear of anybody that's different from you. Fear of outsiders, fear of the Muslims, fear of people of color, fear of people who have different sexual uh, orientations. That's what they're selling, fear. And then the second part is like selling the product that, yes, we'll all get rich, but the reality is he's getting the 1% richer, but the rest of us are still struggling, if not sinking. And and you talked about New York City. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go go ahead. Well, I was going to – I mean, basically, I was just going to say that I basically agree thoroughly with uh, Tom in uh, all that he has said. I mean, I was just going to echo uh, his uh, point of view is, is, uh, you know, straight on the money. Joey, I'm going to remember this when we disagree on who we should endorse, okay? Remember this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Write that down. Well, let me ask you – well, let me ask you something that I got involved with. Uh, somebody with this radio station uh, talked to me last night about uh, the League of Women Voters from Sussex County uh, mm-hmm. uh, placing a piece in the, I guess it was the New York Times. Uh, I, I read it. Um, but we have four counties that act like they're not part of the state. I mean, I think Sussex, my county, is one of the worst of the three. Uh, mm-hmm. The Freeholders and uh, even the one, the, the one solid newspaper, the Herald, uh, really put through a sham about, uh, you know, why they were emptying the jail and uh, why they would want uh, a special uh, thing on the ballot about immigrants. And it doesn't make any sense. And then there's three other counties that are basically doing the other, the same, the same thing in different ways. I, mm-hmm. I've never met, as, as Tom just said, and as you probably alluded to, I've never met a situation where so much hate was out there. We, in my job, I, um, I, uh, was, I, I worked in Trenton. I created tests. I helped develop uh, Nabisco and uh, the casino industry. I did a lot of training. I had a house fire in a Republican state senator named Latell. I think both of you are familiar with him. He brought me up yeah. to Sussex County. 
and right. uh, I had a different role with government, and I wound up working with Kennedy on oil and uh, uh, Joe Kennedy on oil. I don't know what happened to that, uh, but um, I, I we don't have that many immigrants in Sussex County, and uh, and uh, in my working around the state, I remember uh, go, being dispatched to um, Cumberland County uh, to tell migrant workers about their rights under the Judge Ritchie decision, which was in 1970, and uh, that they had rights to go to school and all the other things. But uh, I see so much hate, hatred. I see so much efforts to close the institutions like schools. Some schools are, are not meeting their you know, their quota in population. But now they're on the kick about uh, uh, closing down police forces. And I still think, uh, with some exception, that local police forces are your best, uh, your best ve- uh, vehicle for, you know, justice in the county in many cases, not always all the ca- cases and not always statewide. But uh, now people are circulating, circulating this thing about ending uh, uh, local police forces. And, uh, well, I mean, well, Bill, Bill, just one of the things yeah. that you point out um, about the four counties that you, you perceive, Sussex County, which has probably one of the lowest percentages of immigrant uh, populations of the 21 counties, they have one of the most activist anti-immigrant groups. Right? Actually, this coming Saturday on the Green and Newton, there's going to be a, uh, uh, a rally for um, – it's not the Proud Boys. It's, it might be a combination of Tea, Tea Party, Proud Boys, and some other uh, right-wing groups uh, uh, protesting the governor's supposedly sanctuary state. And so if you read the actual Attorney General's uh, statement or press release, it's not anything against arresting people, no matter if they're legal or illegal. If they do something wrong, they should be arrested. It's just trying to help police officers get themselves out of the position of being uh, profiling and attacking immigrant populations. So, it, it, but that's I, getting back to the not. point. Sussex County, why? Because they're they're appealing to their the fear of people who are, that are different from them. And they're not. And, and as you said, it's one of the smallest uh, uh, immigrant population in the state of the 21 counties, and. Uh, uh, the attorney general took a beating from these people, but he was right on the he was right on the uh, right on on, the, on this issue. And but yes, you don't would, you don't would, see those people in Essex County, these uh, right wing uh, conservatives, anti immigrants. You don't see them in Essex, or Bergen County, or Middlesex County, or Warren, um, I mean Somerset County, because they have they understand that these people are bringing jobs. They're actually uh, laborers. They're doing a lot of things that. Are needed to be done, and um, there's an understanding of it. If you don't know people that are different from you, there's a tendency of human beings to be fearful of them. And that is, it's uh, yeah. I, I just wait. want to add to um, when I was on borough council uh, years ago, I was the liaison to the Kenny community, much of which <clears throat> I would say the population of the Kenny community were. Uh, laborers who were Latino, and I don't Mm -hmm. know how many of them were uh, undocumented, but, you know, I see them sometimes working uh, two and three jobs. On the weekend, they're doing landscaping. During the week, they're walking from McDonald's, going to their next job, 
you know, working in a kitchen in a restaurant. I mean, you can't get American, you can't get kids out here to do that who are teens at high school, but you're getting, you know, folks that are, you know, under under the gun, so to speak, um, with with racism. You know, it's very hardworking people. You don't you don't come to America, uh, at, you know, to uh, so-called get you know uh, freebies when you're working those kinds of uh, uh, those kinds of hours. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Charlie. I mean, if you look at the statistics, immigrants are at as a percentage of uh, uh, committing crimes is lower than the American-born population. And yeah. unfortunately, that the, uh, the Republicans are distorting the facts that fit their agenda to, to mobilize their base. And their base is shrinking, and they know it. But they keep doing it. Yeah. You know, I, one issue for me, I, I, I was involved... Uh, over in New York, I taught at John Jay briefly. Um, I was always interested in criminology. I served on a, uh, as an intern on a, a challenge of crime in a free society. Uh, you know, after the remember the riots and the, the death of uh, Kennedy and, and that a little later than that, 1967. But uh, I uh, did projects with uh, 21 county sheriffs. Uh, uh, I developed uh, some measures for counseling to hire a few, you know, newer sher- uh, sheriff's deputies. But I don't understand, uh, and in this case, I'm going back to Sussex County, but it could happen in the other three counties. And you're right, uh, Tom, it wouldn't happen in many of the counties that you cite. But uh, uh, they've moved the prisoners out of that jail in order to, you know, bring in immigrants. And I always think that's unfair because I know I, I've known kids that have gone into, the, you know, committed some crimes and went into a county jail. Um, and they, um, you know, if you make a, if you need to call mom at home, uh, the phone bill was like something like $6 a minute. And uh, here you're transferring, I don't know where all these, uh, uh, these prisoners go to, but Sussex County shipped them off to Morris County. And I always think that's kind of a, an, an extra sanction on them. Why do we need to do things like that? Uh, there was no real need. Uh, they just wanted to meet the, you know, please the president, who seems to, he's possibly right if he gets away with this. He could shoot a gun down Fifth Avenue and get away with it. But, uh, yeah, that, that kind of bothers me, too. There's, there's so much unfairness in this. But anyway, what's the prospects? Uh, let me start with you, Tom. Uh, you've got a, a you have a, a few assembly races going on in your county. Uh, how does it look? And in, in my county, you have we have two as well. Uh, okay. Yeah, this for me, uh, Bill or Tony. Warren County is uh, it's eleven uh, townships. Uh, I mean, twenty-two townships. And the twenty-third has eleven of the townships, and the twenty-fourth, which is, includes all of Sussex County. Has eleven in Warren County. Um, my two two candidates are running: Dino Lykin and uh, Dan Smith. And the twenty fourth, they have been working really hard. Dina, especially, uh, she's knocked over eighteen hundred doors by herself. She's raised double the amount of money that anybody else has ever raised before for an assembly race, and um, she's gotten a lot of support from labor, which is uh, labor in this 
region has been has been towards Republicans, and so they the labor has helped us, and also uh, the state or state parties helped us, the Democratic Assembly, um, in his own connections. So she's been out there and working really hard, talking to a lot of people, getting her message out about um, one of the big things besides transportation is infrastructure talking about um, computer and being connected to the Internet. We are really, really weak out here because public utilities have, the public utility has not been forced to provide better service out here because they can get away with it. If they're getting, they're pay, people are paying top price at a cheap rate, and she's been talking about that. Her two Republican opponents, they have have no, let's put it this way, be, be kind, Tom. Um, they have no substance within the within the New Jersey Assembly. They can't get anything done. And if Dean and Likens is voted in, she will be able to bring help for some pressure uh, public utilities to actually provide good internet service that is 21st century, not 1999, you know, service. And um, mm-hmm. she's talking about infrastructure. So she's, she's really been working really hard, and uh, I, I have great expectations for her uh, on Election Day. And on my 23rd, uh, Dennis King, I mean, Denise King and Marissa Tramapa, uh, they've been work, working really hard. They got into the race a little later than Dina. Dina actually got started almost right after um, the election, the previous election. But they've been working hard. Actually, it's interesting. Signs never win elections, but it's an indicator of uh, the support that the candidates have. And I drive through Hunterian County every day now. Uh, it appears that you know uh, Marissa and Denise, their their organization has been out there putting up signs more than the, their opponent, Republican opponents. So they they uh, reach uh, expectations that uh, nobody expected. So I've been really happy with their performance and their actions. Uh, Joey, what do you th- how do you see it from your county? Well, let's see. In hundred and um, I mean, go after the low hanging fruit first. Uh, the candidates mm-hmm. in the candidates that come out of the um, Trenton area that in part they um, represent uh, Lambertville, very democratic area. Uh, there's no yep. threat there at all. Um, you know, uh, Andrew and Roy, uh, you know, Zwicker and Fryman uh, running. Uh, you know, Andrew won a very close race, I think, two uh, terms ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. Roy won. Last year, you know, uh, 2017, and uh, you know their 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 opponents not as well known. Um, I don't I don't really expect there to be any surprise there. I think they'll be both um, reelected, and you already covered uh, the candidates in the north. Uh, two very active women, again, very tough, uh, very tough district. I don't have to tell you that. Uh, I would think that they'll uh, they'll probably. Um, you know, they, they will probably not win. I think I'll probably cut the, um, uh, you know, the, their, their win. Uh, I think they'll, they'll, I don't know how you say this, they'll lose uh, better uh, than they, you know, than the candidates did in 2017, which is, I think, mm-hmm. also affects the Trump factor. Uh, the real race, the real race watch in the state, I think, is uh, John Brandnick and Nancy Munoz. Uh, running against uh, Stacey Gunderman and, um, you know, uh, Mandelblatt. Um, I think that, um, you know, 
Uh, that race, uh, the information that has come out about John Bramnick, who I like personally. I find John a very, um, uh, very, very nice guy, but, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the more moderate Republicans. I don't know how he stays as the leader <laughs> in his, his party, quite frankly, uh, but um, he is, um, you know, facing a very tough race against two very active women, and they're using his leadership against him um, on his law firm website. Uh, you probably have read about the terms uh, where he, you know, the amazing. website talked about. Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, how they were talking what? about how they were going to go to, um, uh, you know, invalidate or attack a uh, woman who would uh, be uh, charging someone with sexual harassment or sexual assault. And, uh, you know, his answer to that question uh, was, uh, I, I thought, not the uh, smartest. We talked about, you know, how, oh, I, didn't, I don't read the website. I didn't know it was there. Someone else wrote it. I mean, um, you know, I think that that, uh, as in a lot of cases, when, the, you know, the cover-up is worse than the crime, I think that hurt him more. And he also is facing two complete, I mean, he's, you know, he's facing two people on his, to his right. There are two independent, very conservative candidates running, Martin Mark, and I forgot the other guy's name, um, I think Harris or Hare or something. Uh, they're running to his right, and they're attacking him also on his website, where he said that he would help if you were a, an immigrant looking to get your American green card or citizenship, his law firm can help you. So they're attacking him on the right. And, and I think, you know, normally in, a, in a, any other year, I would say he'd be able to, you know, squeak through. But it's going to be a very, very low turnout. He might, uh, he might end up losing this because of losing those votes on the right. Wow. Do you, uh, are some of these outlying groups, are they like – uh, from the Tea Party, or 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 they just come out of the woodwork. Well, uh, Martin Marks, um, Martin Marks is a dentist who's uh, been a very conservative guy uh, for uh, a long time. He's running as an independent conservative party. Um, he is um, me. You know, let me. I'm going to pull up on the. Um, oh, it's uh, a guy named. Um, he's running with a guy named uh, Harry Pappas. I think that's his uh, Harris Pappas is running. They're both running as independent conservative party candidates. Martin Marsh also ran 10 years ago. He was one of the candidates who ran against Leonard Lance um, in his uh, first primary when he, when he won his first um, congressional primary. Um, you know, look, all of these guys on the extreme right are ideologues who would not make very good legislators, but in a race that's as close as this one's going to be in, um, you know, Bramnick's district, I think he's definitely going to hurt uh, Bramnick and Nancy Munoz. Well, Joey, correct me if I'm wrong. When uh, Simon Zoe won uh, four years ago, he won by, what, a couple hundred votes, Correct. Are, are you talking about uh, Bramnick won yeah. two – well, two years ago uh, – No, not Bramnick, two years ago. Uh, not Bramnick, uh, two years what? ago, Andrew Zewick, he won by a couple hundred votes, correct? Yeah, Andrew, you're talking about Andrew Zwicker. 
Yeah, Jacob. Yeah, yeah he won by a couple. The, yeah, when he, when, the, he first won, when he first won his seat four years ago, he won it by 78 votes. Wow. Wow. Is, yeah, is, the district, is the district getting less conservative, do you think, down that way? Um, I, I think it, I mean, God, I mean, with the election of Andrews Wicker and then Roy Feynman and then Tom Malinowski, I mean, the district is becoming, I think the district is becoming a little bit younger and therefore I think it's becoming a little bit uh, more, um, I mean, I think it's still more Republican in this area than it is Democratic. Uh, but I think that those Republicans tend to be a little bit more moderate Republicans than conservative so I think, you know, they're not quite as excited about voting for those on the extreme right wing uh, in, this, in this area, at least. And for well, for me, my let area. Me, let me ask you both a question. Uh, Buco, the elder Buco, just died. Uh, a Morris County Titan. Uh, his son, I guess, little, I used to call him Little Michael because he's, he's like half his size. Of his father, he's he he's going to run for that seat. I guess he's holding it at the moment. Um, is there a chance to knock him off? Um, I, I mean, I I, 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 really, I I really doubt it. I mean, I I don't. Um, I mean, Stacy. Uh, uh, I think uh, I can't pronounce her last name, but I mean, State, uh, Dar, uh, Darcy Drager is one of the candidates are pointing against them. Um, I think that they will put up a good fight, but I, th- I just don't think the numbers are uh, are with them running in that district. Uh, I mean, the issue that he's taking is taking his father's um, Senate seat but still running in the assembly race. You know, he'll get beat up for that a little bit, but um, I just don't think that most uh, Republican voters really care about that as an issue. Yeah. I agree. With what about Johnny's right? Yeah, I'll take that. What about uh, Kane's uh, Governor Kane's son? How is he? Oh. I mean, I'm, I shouldn't be talking about. Is he done? Done? Um, what, do what, what do you mean done, Bill? Like he's running for Congress. He's going to be challenging Malinowski. So he's, oh my. Wow. Yeah, he's a new right. Can Malinowski knock him off? I think so. Um, I, I, I think that's going to be – I think it will be a tough race. I do think, I do think that Tom will uh, beat uh, – I, I mean, I think Tom Malinowski will beat Tom Kane. And that's, one of, of course, one of the advantages in the uh, New Jersey political environment where, you know, Tom Kane Jr. does not have to give up his Senate seat in order to run for Congress. So even if he loses – um, he can still stay in, and I, I would imagine if he loses the congressional race and it's close, he'll take a look at whether he wants to jump into a governor's uh, race in uh, 2021. You know, um, that would not that would not surprise me at all. Well, from my perspective, from watching from the outside, Tom Kane Jr. has never had uh, say, the gravitas or the political pull that his father had. And he's yeah. not that he's riding on his father's coattails or his name, but it just doesn't seem he's ever been able to reach a, a critical threshold to say I am a I am a power into my to myself and to 
my area, and I'm not counting on the past success of, well, actually generations of Canes who uh, have been elected officials in the state of New Jersey. She, he's never been able to get yeah, the well, office no. of state legislature. And like, and like, like Bramnitz, he's not, you know, he's not a crazy Republican. I mean, he's not a, you know, an extreme right-wing guy by any means. Um, the only problem, you know, again, the problem is uh, the Trump name. I mean, Trump does not do very well at all mm-hmm. in, uh, in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, every Republican that's running uh, faces a, um, you know, that is a negative just on, on the Republican brand. Yep, I agree. And, and women is especially have drifted away or run away from the Republican Party. They've been either going from, if they were Republicans, they become unaffiliates, and if they were unaffiliates, they're becoming Democrats. The, the numbers, I think we've probably all seen the numbers about the growth of the Democratic Party and the segment of the voting population that has shrunk is the unaffiliates. And Republicans have not gained that much, and the Democrats have grown tremendously because of Donald yes, Trump. Very true. Now, basically, I think they're almost sw- swept out of Bergen County, and uh, uh, they're not that big of a factor in uh, Essex County. Uh, Hudson County, no way. Uh, <laughs> right. It's just in that little, like, uh, uh, the three guys from my county um, – uh, or a host about the closest to, uh, about Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, I think one of the the challenges for the Democratic Party looking down the road, um, number one, uh, you know, uh, Phil Murphy's approval ratings have been uh, below fifty for a while. Uh, I don't think that's going to affect the Democrats in this very low turnout, like I, you know, I mean, the Democrats are not in any uh, threat of losing control of either, either house. Uh, I mean, uh, of the assembly, the the state Senate, of course, is not up this year. So I don't think they're really in in any threat of losing. I think they might even pick up a seat or two, which is crazy. But I I also think that uh, 2021 is going to be, um, uh, a tough a year. A lot of it will be uh, dependent upon what happens in New Jersey, and whether you know the Democrats finally end all of their uh, fighting and pick uh, uh, you know the best candidate to beat Donald Trump. Um, I think Murphy is going to face a couple of tough candidates. I know Jack uh, Jack Chitterelli is uh, going to run. Um, I would imagine that Tom Kane, if he loses, will take a look at that seat, and. Um, I don't know who else is there, but uh, I know that Jack Chitterelli has been making rounds around um, oh, yeah. the state. Yeah, he's looking to run already. You know, he, he's laying the groundwork. That is for yeah. sure. I mean, he'll announce probably sometime in 2020, and I think you know he will be a tough. Uh, here, here's a uh, trivia question. You probably noted that this. Who is the last Democratic governor who was elected to two terms? In New Jersey, can I raise my hand? Me, me. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, uh, Brendan Burns. I mean, Brendan think of how crazy that is. We're talking. We're talking forty. We're, we're talking more than forty years ago. A guy got elected to two terms, and even in his second term, he faced. I mean, the only reason he won that primary is he was facing two or three very 
good opponents, including uh, Florio, and including Jim Florio himself. And the, and the thing that's amazing about that, and you think about this, just just startling, is that in a state that is supposed to be this democratic, the Democrats have been unable to elect a Democrat twice in a row for governor in, in, in 44 years. We've not been able to do that. Wow. Well, I mean, in, in, from a historical perspective, Joey, the state of New Jersey wasn't as Republican, I mean, Democratic as it is today. I mean, there was a, definitely a little bit more 50-50 back 40 years ago, and even uh, up until, let's say, 20 years ago. Uh, and if you take in the Jim – oh, this is really inside the ballpark stuff. But Jim Florio and then uh, John Corzine, we did have two Democratic governors in an eight-year period. Unfortunately, you know, because of circumstances with Jim Florio, he was not. He did not run again. Um, and no, he ran. Christy, he got beat. No, he ran and lost. He lost to uh, Christy Todd Wynn. Yeah, But I'm I'm talking about Jim Florio wins. He resigns, and then uh, John Corzine, you know, takes over, you know, at the next term. So we did put two Democrats I'm not, I'm together. Not I'm not following what you're talking about, Jim. Uh, Jim Florio never resigned. Are you talking about Jim? Oh, yeah, sorry, Jimmy, Jim McGreevy. I apologize. I yeah, apologize. Jim he resigned. Yeah, he resigned. Yeah. Uh, Dick, Dick Cody, who probably should have run for governor um, yep. instead of John Corzine. And yes, John Corzine uh, ran. And so, technically speaking, we had three Democratic governors in an eight year period. That is true. <laughs> That's true. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, anyhow, okay, back, back to our wonderful candidates in Warren and Hunterdon County and Sussex. Go ahead. Um, I have a freeholder candidate, Carol Cook, uh, who has been a public activist uh, in Warren County for over 50 years. She is running for uh, for freeholder. Um, she is right on the issues. She's looking to bring Warren County into the 21st century. You know, uh, our freeholders they have they talk about economic development and then they they do everything. Anti-economic uh, uh, development, and they don't have any infrastructure plans to uh, build out. So corporations and small businesses, there are businesses who will not move out here because of the infrastructure, and they're not reinvesting it. New Jersey ranks like the rest of the country about D and F on most levels of infrastructure, including water and uh, uh, energy, and uh, just about every other form of infrastructure that's out there. Is Mars right. still still located in uh Hackettstown? Yes it is. Yes it is. Are they leaving and by any chance? They are they're playing, I mean the facility in Hackettstown is not going away obviously. But they're moving their corporate headquarters to Newark, where it started uh, back right after the, as I understand it after World War Two. Um so they're going back to their home. And on one level, it's smart to move your corporate uh, center to large uh, uh, cities and as compared to being out there here in the suburbs. Will it have an impact? It will be interesting to see the economic impact of moving all those people. Because I know they plan to use that facility. It's not, that, it's not going to be abandoned. Not like uh, uh, some facilities like in Hunterdon County and Somerset County, uh, the corporations they moved back or they downsized and they moved into uh, back into more urban areas. So it'll be interesting to see 
the economic impact that it will have. Because uh, I don't know, I'm pretty sure with Tony County, the same problem that Morgan County had. Our population has actually gone down, down a little bit, not a great deal, but enough where it's noticeable where we're talking about consolidating school districts. Yeah, because the destination is not And I, it may be an issue in, uh, down by Joe. Joey, I uh, know in Sussex County, some school, school districts like Vernon, uh, some of the buildings are now closed. Uh, yep. That's a problem. Uh, one of our former freeholders, an African-American, uh, he's running for mayor of, uh, of Vernon. Um, uh, so he, Howard Burrell. Oh, I didn't realize he was running for mayor. Yeah, he just uh, announced, uh, I don't know, Mayor Shortway, who uh, worked with um, Gottheimer, he's running for uh, for uh, council and, and Vernon. It's always a lot of issues there. Uh, again, infrastructure is a big issue. Uh, we have few sewage systems. Uh, 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 there's loads of infrastructure needs. We have no real railroads. Uh, they've been talking about the Lackawanna cutoff for years. Uh, you have some trains uh, structure in, in uh, Warren County, right? And I, I think Joey in this area might some. I think Hunter County has a better train structure than we do. Because uh, you have a high bridge, correct, Joey? One of your train lines? Yeah, I had- yeah, high bridge uh, is you can the only the only place where you can uh, pick up a train into New York City from Hunter County is in uh, is in High Bridge, but they don't okay. they don't get a lot of uh, people from the south part of the county for obvious reasons. It's not a very big parking lot. It's also easier. It's actually easier to, to drive up to Somerville, park there, and take the train in from Somerville. Gotcha. For us, uh, it, we have one station in Warren County right now. It's in Hackettstown. And the train, uh, train line is so long that it's quicker for me to drop my daughter off in Dover and and drop her off there and because the train line from Hackettstown is so long. And uh, so the commuting by mass transit is very limited out here. We have one bus line coming out of the Poconos and then one less, uh, bus line coming out of the uh, Lehigh Valley that stops in the Pillsbury area. So we don't have a lot of mass transit opportunities out here. Do you think that, that reflecting on that, do you think that's a cause for loss loss of population? That the good jobs are down uh, below and it costs so much in health and uh, commuting time. Uh, I literally see people going up to Sussex County at nine o'clock at night, I see long trails of traffic going up there. And sometimes you could blame it on bear hunting. Uh, I don't know, if <laughs> you know, but you know, they don't shoot straight anyway. Uh, the only bear they, I did one killed was a guy, a bear named Pebbles, when they uh, they had to shoot him. He couldn't walk up. He could only walk upright. But I, I mean, the commute is getting devastating. I drove to Trenton for thirty something years. Uh, I went through 30 cars. Uh, when I first started, uh, we uh, it was Brendan Byrne, or use that gave us a, a train card where we can catch any train and take it down to Trent. Then he killed, they killed it. And, uh, you know, it really punishes people from northern New Jersey. I don't know how the legislators feel about that, but I would think they'd get tired of making that commute. Although when a, a quick vote comes up, the state police drive them down. 
Um, do you see any change coming in that? After all these years, shouldn't it be pushed for infrastructure like the bridge tunnel that you were talking about? And uh, uh, it took, what, seven years or eight years to open up that uh, amusement park down on Route 3? Well, no, it was actually over to me. You're referring to uh, the American Dream? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, actually, it was, Joey, correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it's almost 20 years. That it was in, 20 years. In, over 20 years in process and being built. You know, they went to redevelopment. I always think it's funny when somebody says, correct me if I'm wrong, like all of a sudden I'm in charge of whether you're right or not. You know, which I think, you know, <laughs> hey, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, you know what? Why don't you come back when you know what you're talking about, okay? Why don't you go research <laughs> it then come back and let us know? No, I, I, I think you're right. I'm not, uh, yeah. I'm kidding around. Yeah. But uh, I know you are right. I, I just, when I drove home from down there, uh, if I came up anyway near Route 3 or 80, I just was dozing off. I mean, uh, I would leave at 5 in the morning and uh, get there at 8.30, and I'd come back. I'd leave at 4.30, and uh, I'd get back home about 8 o'clock again. I, I mean, it was just a long travel. And, well, uh, Bill, I mean, your, your point about um, you earlier asked about where are people not interested in commuting and spending that many hours in a car or even on a train, and they are moving towards uh, older suburbs of, the, of our and the idea of somebody coming home on the weekend and spending their entire weekend cutting lawns, pruning trees and shrubs, and then having, you know, say, an hour to two-hour commute back into the city one way is not as appealing to this newer generation. And that's why we need no. economic development out here where there are good jobs out here. Right now, the this manufacturing has uh, dropped off in this region that is more than 100 in Sussex County. And um, we, our leadership of the Republican Party, they talk about where we believe in capitalism, but they don't do anything to help capitalism grow out in these regions. So they, don't do, they don't set up a bank to invest in uh, small business loans. And um, they have not been proactive. They've been just sitting there just doing the same old thing. That's why we need to You know, I don't want to be. I mean, look, I'm I'm a Democrat. I'm a, I'm a longtime Democrat, no question about it. But you know, you got to admit something. The Democrats have had control of the New Jersey State Legislature for, I guess, I don't know what is going on, ten, twelve years now. And you know, I I understand that, um, you know, Christie as a governor could, you know, veto. Uh, you know, line item veto a bill if he wants. But, you know, basically the Democrats, if there's anything that goes wrong with the state, I don't, I don't understand how Democrats, you know, run in areas that, are, that have been represented by Republicans and blame anything on Republicans. I mean, again, I'm, well, saying, that as a de- I'm saying that as a Democrat, but how do, we, how do we run as Democrats in these tough districts and say, well, you know, you want to make things better. Because, I mean, Democrats have been in control of this stuff. Well, the, the argument here, Joey, is this. One, for eight, eight of those 10, 12 years, uh, they had a Republican governor who was transactional. Well, and, had, yeah, okay, and the second thing is, because the Democrats have basically written off this region, 
they had no incentives to help any economic development out here or infrastructure. And that is the reason why you need some change of leadership. I mean, if you don't have – if the current Republicans can't get even a simple bill pack, let alone major economic investments done, that's why you need Democrats. Because there will be an incentive to help the Democratic uh, Assemblywoman Dina Lykin, uh Denise King, um, Marissa Trimoffa, uh Dan Smith. If they win – there will be incentives for the leadership to say, hey, we got to help them. We have to show the Republicans in the unaffiliated that Democrats can get stuff done in this area that has been ignored by the party. And that, it's not excusing yes, it. I, I, agree, I agree with that. That's, that's very true. i got to add one more thing, one more thing that you both might disagree with. Some of our political bosses are our worst enemies. I mean, with Christie, it was uh, down in uh, – you know, down in Atlantic, uh, uh, where the um, Iron Workers uh, State Senate uh, president is, um, we used to have. I ran in 1993 against Scott Garrett, who was a congressman, and I had a congressman from Camden County come up and campaign with me for weeks. Uh, wow. I, I Robert Andrews. Uh, oh. And uh, Robert Andrews, I don't know who he, he who's. What happened? Uh, but well, he was sold down the river and he was out of office. And now um, the party boss has his, I guess, his brother in, in the Congress. Uh, I thought Congressman Andrews was a good guy. I look around and I see Congre- uh, Murphy. I thought Murphy, not um, not the gov- this governor, but the uh, man that ran for governor some years back. Uh, there's, you're right on a lot of issues. I mean, we have no transportation. Farms are disappearing. I would think that we should try to keep what farms we have uh, and all in all areas. And uh, you have farms in each one of our, all three of our areas have farms. Uh, not as many as we used to. They've turned into highways and, and malls and used car lots. I mean, all over Sussex County, we had ideal farms, a big farm system. Now it's, uh, you know, a, a Japanese car dealership, a GM, a, a Mercedes-Benz. We need to be, do more and be better uh, on, on, you know, on just building our counties. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we're still using septic systems. They flood. One thing about Christie in our area and your areas, too, because you're part of the, uh, the Highlands region, he wanted to increase sewage, uh, septic usage in the Highlands uh, uh, region, which not only would affect us. I mean, I live – I. I live in a lake that had some problems with algae this uh, this summer. There was a big lake down the hill from me uh, that had a lot of algae problems. It just they just reopened it, I guess. There was a New York State, New Jersey lake that had algae problems. We're not ha- we're not doing well. Uh, the reservoirs for the city of Newark. I I, I suspect that some of our, you know, uh, I hear somebody told me in a small town of Franklin, New Jersey that they were using fracking waste to uh, put on the snow-covered street. Uh, that seems a bad idea near a reservoir. So on, I, that, I, on that note, Bill, uh, we have to be drawing to a close. We have five more minutes left, and I'd like our guests to share their uh, contact information. But th- those are very important issues, and how about we devote a whole show just to water issues? So th- is everyone agreeable to that? Hey. Sure. Uh, before we leave, though, I do want to answer Bill's question very quickly okay. about uh, about party bosses. 
Um, I, w I will give you my opinion about party bosses, but first I want to check with my county chair and see what she wants me to say. Uh, okay. Well, you can say everybody else is a, uh, a boss but Tom Palmieri. <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> I agree with that, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> but that, Joey, talk about it because it's an important issue. It's one of the things that hurts the Democratic Party. No, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the structure of the Democratic Party is very party boss oriented in those counties that produce Democratic votes. I mean, the good thing is that they produce Democratic votes and we can get people elected statewide. Uh, the downside is that, you know, it doesn't give much room for good people to move uh, to move up. And, you know, uh, I, I feel badly of those people who have somehow gone against the party boss. You know, it's not it's not the best system overall. Exactly. Okay, thank you very much. And Tom, how can people enter your world and uh, uh, join in your work? Well, they can go to the Warren County Democratic Committee's uh, Facebook page, or they can uh, ask, uh, email addresses info at warrencountydems.com. And again, that's info at warrencountydems.com. Or they can uh, go to our website and they can get a telephone number. We have a 908-752-5619. Again, that's 908-752-5619. And they can reach out to us through the phone. And uh, so website, Facebook, WarrenCountyDams.com. All right? I'll make it really, I'll make it really simple. Yeah, I'll make it really simple. Best place to get in touch with me would be through uh, this uh, website. Which, which me and about 1.5 billion people use Facebook. It's uh, Joey Music. Just the uh, best place to find me is on Facebook. I check that all the time. Fantastic. I put links to both of your Facebook accounts and uh, um, Tom to your website. Thank you so Thank you. very much uh, for participating in this discussion. And um, Bill, I'd love everybody back to discuss water because you started to touch on that in the end. And that's, that's a really important issue here in New Jersey. Absolutely. Well, we're all the, each of us are in the Highlands region. I, I, I suspect Joey too. Uh, and it is a key issue. And it's going to get more, much more important as we go along. Hey, thank Bill, you very thank much. You for I had fun. Take care. <laughs> so did bye I bye. listening, and uh, you're all awesome. Okay, thank uh, you. Bill, thanks for another oh, show. You. Uh, you have awesome tasting guests, and it's it was lively and informative and entertaining. And, uh, uh, again, too bad Willie had an hour. Thanks again. It's okay. Thank you. always a comedian, too. <laughs> okay. And thanks to all who joined us from home. Until next time, from all of us, joyous journeys and amazing adventures. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Thank you.